Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war and his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of lords then i saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh harvest you can be seated open your bibles to revelation 19 thank you pastor nate uh, what a text that's where we're going today uh, 21 Sundays now in the book of Revelation, 21 Sundays of Jesus Christ revealed. And, and, and I would ask this, after 21 Sundays, a question, a question for each of us to ponder, and that is when you consider Jesus Christ, when you consider Jesus Christ, what do you picture? What do you picture? Who do you see? What, uh, what, what images come to mind when you think of Christ? What descriptors uh, come to the face of the page? Even what emotions arise within you? Who do you, seriously, who do you picture Jesus Christ to be? If Jesus Christ has indeed revealed himself, does your picture match with the picture of how he has revealed himself? With the question, let me make a statement. Who you see Jesus Christ to be tells the story of how you see and life. Who you see Jesus Christ to be tells the story 
of how you see and do life. And by the way, I'm talking to the person who is a follower, redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'm also talking to the person who is not, who's kind of like, you know, I'm just so not into the Jesus thing right now at this moment. Uh, The same statement to both. How you see Jesus Christ impacts how you actually see and do life. And in fact, we could reverse that around this way. How you see and do life is actually how you see Jesus Christ. If you really want to know how you see Jesus Christ, look at how you see and do life. And that tells the reality of it. Seeing Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation, I think, is just absolutely critical in seeing Jesus Christ fully and rightly. Let me me talk to you about that just for a minute. If you were to look at the scriptures, let's go to the Old Testament. If you were to look at the Old Testament and kind of summarize up, like if you were to ask me, hey, Doug, how would you summarize up how Jesus Christ is revealed in the Old Testament? Like, okay, thanks for asking. I would say this, Jesus is the sweet promised hope. I'd just sum the whole testament up that way. Jesus is the sweet promised hope. Now if we go to the Gospels, I think we can add a few things to that. Jesus is the sweet manger child. Jesus is the sweet teacher and healer. Jesus in the Gospels is also the sweet sacrifice on the cross. And we could add to that, Jesus Christ is the sweet victor over the grave. Let me summarize all that up. Old Testament Gospels. Jesus is the sweet lamb who entered on a donkey. He's the lamb. You know, when you hear that, don't you just kind of like go, that is so sweet, don't you? Or are you thinking lunch? No, no, no. No. You do, when you hear that, you just think, how sweet is that? A a, a sound of a lamb. It just kind of warms my heart, nice and fluffy and wooly, and and I want to say this, he is the lamb. He is. He is the lamb that has come. And we rejoice in that reality. He is the loving, gentle, kind, sacrificial lamb. He is that. He is that. But I also want for us to consider this. I think we've seen in Revelation that we live in a war zone with a great dragon who is warring with the Godhead. And I think we can see a lamb as the one who needs to come and win the war over sin on the cross and the empty grave. But I do have to say this. As we see the war portrayed in Revelation, I really don't see a lamb taking on a great mighty dragon. Do you? 
I mean, in the pictures of it, in the imagery of it, and that's what it's helping us to try and grasp. I don't think we see that. Instead, in the war against the dragon and his forces, we want and we need something more than a kind, loving, gentle, sacrificial lamb. We need a lion. We need that. changes how you feel right now, doesn't it? That can take on the great dragon. And know this, Jesus Christ is the lion lamb. He is, he is both. The lamb is the lion and it's so important to understand that he is not only a sweet lamb that entered on a donkey. He is also not only the roaring lion that enters on a white steed. He is both. He is the sweet lamb who is the roaring lion. That is the Savior. And that is the one that we are seeing in the book of revelation. And so, Lord, right now, we just come as we enter into studying your word here. Uh, we just so fall down before you. Father, we, we are about to see more of who and what John saw of Christ. John. John, the one who was with Jesus Christ, the sweet lamb for three years. And now John is about to see the sweet lamb who is the roaring lion. God, I just pray, may we see more of our lamb who is our lion more fully and more rightly. I would ask you to blow us away with who you are. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Bibles to Revelation 19. If you uh, need one of the Bibles on the seats there, please grab it. Uh, we're big about the Bible around here, and uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19. We are laying out the pieces here. We're doing the latter portion of the chapter. Uh, I do want to let you know as well that um, I'll be making these available on the website here in a bit. I forgot to do that this week, but uh, down here on the front, if you want, I've got the first two slides of kind of going through laying out the book. If you want to come up and grab those, I've also had a few people ask me this week, uh, last Sunday I had read about uh, the first century Jewish wedding, and uh, if you want to come up and grab that, I've got that on a piece of paper up here after the service, feel free to go ahead and grab those as well. But we're in the latter part of Revelation 19, we're in verses 11 through 21, and I will tell you there are so many things here that we could genuinely become engrossed with, uh, so many cool conversations that we could have, uh, but we are on a first-timers bus tour, 
uh, through the book of Revelation, and uh, we're staying on the big picture of things, and we're laying out the pieces right now. Uh, the series is going to be going through uh, all the way through December here. We're going to be doing some assembly in the month of November, uh, but right now we're laying out some more pieces, and here, Revelation 19, Jesus Christ is revealed literally, okay? Here we go. Uh, today in this, I'm putting uh, the text up on the screen. I usually don't do that because I think there's something very powerful about you being in your eyes in your own Bible. Uh, but because of the way I'm doing today, there's so many things in the text here. I'm just going to have them pop up on the screen out of the text. And so as you look in your sermon notes, all those blanks, they're in the text. As we go through, we're just going to walk this through. So we're in the first, uh, going to be in the first paragraph, uh, verses 11 through 16. Uh, the first paragraph keys in on a rider. It's interesting. John does not even give his name. After you see the descriptions of him, you have no question who this is. Uh, but, uh, but John in this is not making up the content. He's seeing this. Heaven to open. Pastor Nate read the text for us. He's seeing it and he sees a rider. And uh, we are about to be told a whole number of things about this rider. In fact, uh, we're going to be told his titles, attributes, and actions. And then we'll go into the second paragraph. Let's begin working through it. John sees the rider's titles here. I, I, I'm seeing kind of four titles in this first paragraph. Number one, verse 11, the writer is called faithful and what? Faithful and true. Faithful. By the way, he's not fairly faithful. He's not mostly faithful. Know this, he is faithful. Okay, we, we have a hard time understanding faithful, and, and so we oftentimes make Christ just like us, and we think he's not fully faithful. But know this, he is faithful, 100% faithful, no question about it. He's faithful in his calling, he's faithful in his speaking, he's faithful in his promises, he's faithful in all that he does. He is God, he is faithful. Uh, by the way, that includes he's faithful to 100% of his promises of grace and love and salvation. 100% faithful to that. Also, he is 100% faithful to his promises of wrath and judgment. He is 100% faithful to that. He is true. He is not pretty true. He is not mostly true. He is not like the truest one I've ever known. No, no. He is true. He is incapable of deception or fraud. And the truth of the matter is, everyone in this room is. But he is not. He is not even capable of that. He is true. 100%. He is true to his grace. He is true to his love. He is also true to his absolute holiness. He is faithful and true to his holiness. Secondly, verse 12, the writer has a name written. I actually think this is kind of a title type of a thing. By the way, it's not just he's got a name. It notes he has a name written. 
What is the name? No one knows. <laughs> oh, the commentary pages that talk about what it might be. The four letters of Yahweh. Is it Jesus? Is it a biblical text? Uh, hey, I, I fully admit, I am not the sharpest crayon in the box. But when it says no one knows his name, hey, academic dudes, no one knows his name. Why, why do we do that? Why do we have to, like, no one knows his name? By the way, this is just a great reminder. There are just some things we don't need to know. No, 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 but I need to know. No, you don't. What's his name? Isn't that just like right now bugging you? Hey, he knows. And maybe he'll reveal it in the eschaton in the, in the last days. Maybe he won't. I just know this. He's got a name. And no one knows it but him. And it's even written. How cool is that? There's aspect of this where I just want to go, he's like, neener, neener. I've got a name and you don't know it. Get used to it. He's faithful and true. He has a name written. Three, end of verse 13. The writer has the title, The Word of God. Sounds so like John chapter one. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. But, but I will make a little deciphering here because it doesn't use this exact terminology here and I don't want to get too picky about it. Uh, but in it, it, it is referring. But yet John 1 is really talking about the, 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 the revealing of, the revealer one. And yet here this is in a different kind of a context. This is, this is actually kind of in a final authority context. He is the word of God. What he says goes... And by the way, in the context of the text here, as the word of God, the one having the full expression of God, being that, what, what God says, he says, uh, uh, that really carries out in what we're about to see. In his wrath and his judgment, know this, he is the faithful and true, I can't even know all of his names, word of God. He's the word. That's who he is. And he speaks grace, and truth. Four, verse 16, the writer has the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And note in the text, the title is written. This title is visible. It's likely written on what's uh, considered part of the, 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 the tunic uh, that covers over the thigh, if you will. Uh, it's very possibly right there on his thigh where his sword, by the way, uh, a sword would lay. Um, and it's visible. Uh, if you're frustrated that you can't know his name, you know this one. King of kings and Lord of lords. And by the way, it's not a king of kings and a Lord of lords. No, no, it's the capital K, King of Kings, and it's the capital L, Lord of Lords. He is the one over it all. This is a divinity title. And the one is now riding back onto the field of redemptive history. 
as the warrior king Messiah. Hey, remember the Sunday where we talked about redemptive history out on the field, football? Can you just smell it in the air today, by the way? He's the one on the white horse who's going to come charging out on the field. Boom! And God's people go crazy in the stands. Faithful and true, a name written, the word of God, king of kings and lord of lords are titles. Then John sees these six attributes in this passage I want to lay out in this paragraph here. Uh, first attribute, he rides on a white horse. Uh, this is very clearly uh, imagery uh, coming out of first century uh, t- days to where the uh, victorious Roman general would uh, be on a white horse uh, um, a- as a triumph run through a parade, if you will. But, but, but I do want to note this, though. While typically in first century AD, the context of this is riding through a victorious parade with everybody cheering, this is a different reality. This isn't a parade like down the street like 4th of July. This is riding on a white horse to come out onto the field and to finish the war. This is actually before the war, and he's riding on a victorious horse. He's already won. He enters the battle, and he's already won. By the way, it's not a donkey. Even though back when Jesus entered Jerusalem, a donkey was oftentimes ridden by uh, leaders. We kind of think of it almost as a funny thing or a very humbling thing. It wasn't quite that way in our context of today, but do know this, it was not a donkey. It was a, this is a white horse of victory and of war. Secondly, verse 12, another attribute, his eyes are like flames of fire. Boy, Daniel 10 comes into mind with that, but also even out of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, John describes Jesus as having eyes of flames of fire. Chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus is talking with the church in Thyatira, and he reminds them that his eyes are flames of fire. Um, The one who had the eyes, who looked at the Samaritan woman at the well with love and grace, who looked at the blind and the hurting with love and grace and help and hope, the eyes of the sweet lamb also have eyes of a roaring lion. And I'm emphasizing that because today there is oftentimes we pick and choose the Jesus we want. And Jesus is just all love, all love, all love. Really? That's what the scriptures say? He is all love. But know this, he is all flaming fire eyes as well. That's the fact of the matter. This is who he is showing himself to be. This contains the idea that his eyes, uh, nothing escapes them. Everything is laid open and bare before his eyes. He sees all. And yet along with that, it's the idea of eyes of raging fire eyes. I mean, it's one thing to come and to help and to love and to to, to express your deep, sincere, genuine care for someone. Those kind of eyes. 
You don't even have to say anything. But I will also say this, when you go into war, I'm assuming, at least I've seen it in the movies, I just got to be honest about it, I haven't been in war. But there are times even to where it's like, I think there are times that my kids remember dad with flaming fire eyes. And I didn't have to say a word. But these are like the real deal. These are faithful and true flaming fire eyes. They pierce. They go to war. And these are the eyes of the judge. Third, verse 12, on his head are many diadems. <laughs> Revelation, I've referred to, talks about Stephanus crowns. Those are victory crowns. And then there are diadem crowns. Those are ruling crowns. He's coming in on many ruling crowns. These are diadem crowns. The rider enters, if you will, with all the ruling crowns. Uh, here in just a moment, there will be no more ruling diadem crowns. He has them all. He has them all. In Revelation 12, 3 and 13, 1, Satan and the beast uh, have fake ruling crowns, punks, fakes. But this ruler, this rider has the absolute ruling reality. The kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of this rider. Number four, verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. So interesting and quite scary to tell you the truth here. Because this robe, what is the blood? The robe first, by the way, it's not a bathrobe and it's not a TV Snuggie wrap. Okay? It could be what would be called back then a rider's cloak or what a general uh, cloak he would wear. I might say it this way in our context, you know, those, those uh, gray hairs of us, uh, it's like a John Wayne kind of cloak or maybe a little bit more modern. It's like the, not, not the old-fashioned, but the more modern-day Batman kind of cloak. Or ladies, for you, it's the cloak that Darcy wears as he's walking down the river with the fog, you know, and you're like, whoa, dude. <laughs> okay, I'll keep going. All right. It, it, it's not a bathrobe, okay? It, it, it's a cloak that uh, it, it, in and of itself, it says the main thing, it's dipped in blood. Whose blood? Well, really, they're talking three options. One is, is uh, Jesus' blood from the cross. But honestly, just very transparent with you, that's what I've always thought it's been. But the more I've studied this and the more I'm hearing from others as I read this, and some others think that, that it is, but, but this is not a redemption passage. This is a war and judging passage. I, I actually don't think this is uh, the, the blood of Christ representing the cross. Another is, is, could this be the blood of the martyred saints? And he's kind of coming, is, is, is bringing back uh, righteous wrath in light of the, the killing of the saints. But, but I will say in this that, 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 that the focus of the passage here, like other passages, is not focusing on the retribution for the blood of the saints. It could be, it could be the blood of the cross, it could be the blood of the martyred saints, but I'm just saying, I actually think now this is actually the blood of the enemies. 
The argument against that is that, uh, yeah, but he hasn't even warred yet. No, 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 but he's already won, as well as This is just gruesome. Okay? Hang with me. Isaiah 63, talking about the day of the Lord. And in it, it says, There is life, their lifeblood is splattered on my garments and stained my apparel. And I think that's what this is referring to. And it doesn't get lighter. Five, verse 14, attributes. And the armies of heaven follow him. Oh, this is a bit of really, really cool. Armies of heaven. It sounds so manly, doesn't it, guys? Like, I want in on this. Is it angels? Is it saints only? Is it both? I, I, I think this is probably holistic, but I think it's clearly in the text. There is a focus on the saints here. Chapter 17 of Revelation, verse 14 says, Those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Here in verse 14, it says, They are arrayed with linen, white, and pure. Remember from last Sunday, verse 8? The marriage supper of the Lamb, the saints are essentially arrayed with linen of, of white and pure. And note, the, the, the ones behind him here, which I do think are the saints, but Frank, I think in the whole of it, it also is the angelic beings as well. Uh, are not, uh, these are not military clothes. Hey, the ones following aren't wearing armor. And even in the text, you don't see anything about them having spears or Uzis or iron rods or anything. They're just following. By the way... That's the way it should always be. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that action should be today and for all eternity. Follow him. Follow him. They're on white horses. Is, are they really on white horses or is it just imagery? I just like the white horses. Let's go. You know, it's not a big deal on that, but you, it's the imagery of it all, the picture of it all. He's riding on the white horse coming in, and behind him is the army of, uh, of the heavenly army behind him. I think it's awesome. Man, I'm, this is guy time, boys, right? Into war, freedom! You know, I mean, the whole kind of thing going on, it's so cool. Gotta have some fun in this because it gets heavy. And yet they're not fighting. I don't know, are they not combat? Uh, maybe they'll be involved somehow, but, but I think we'll see here. Let's go to the next one, number six attribute. Uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. In chapter one, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ is said to have a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. Again, this is why I say, are, are the horses real? Well, this isn't a real sword in his mouth. So there's figurative and reality, but even the figurative has a, a meaning to it. And by the way, the figurative in this is not usually dumbed down to reality. It's actually doing its best as it can to show as much as it can. It's even bigger than that. 
and the imagery of it all. And here he has a sharp sword, a sword, a sword in Roman times in first century uh, represented authority over life and death. That's why when you see a lot of uh, the, the, the monuments back in that day with the, the emperor with the sword in the air, why? Because that represented he held life and death in his hands. Yeah, supposedly, something like that. And, but his mouth... By the way, I just make note that the mouth that spoke comfort and love here comes and speaks judgment and death. The writer's writer's weaponry, verse 15, it's a sword and a rod of iron. The rod of iron, by the way, was not just like a governing rod of iron, but it was also used in, in war. And this was a rod to destroy I just want to remind us, the sweet lamb is the roaring lion. And with that, I want to note this, the the sweet lamb is the roaring lion. We saw early in Revelation, who also is the shepherd? What do shepherds do? Shepherds care for their sheep. They love their sheep, but shepherds also will kill for their sheep. They defend their sheep. They war for their sheep as well. The writer's titles, the writer's attributes. Uh, Now here are five actions of the writer. Uh, He does some things. He not just is some things. First, the writer judges, verse 11. He first came as a savior. He now comes as judge. He is the one who renders judgment. He is the one who renders verdict. By the way, the text says, in righteousness. You know, I just in our conversations and as we don't think about God, we so humanize God again. And it's like, how can he judge? That just doesn't seem fair. No, you have to understand, we live in a world where we can't even imagine perfect justice. We can't even imagine the absolute perfect ability to make the perfect punishment that exactly fits the crime. We live in a world that doesn't even come close to that, especially with all the politics today. It's like, is that just blah, 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 or is that for real? We have a hard time, but know this. This one, perfect, spot on, in righteousness, in his holiness, he cannot ever make an incorrect judgment call. There will never be anyone, any angel, any demon, any human that has ever lived that will be able to stand before the Lord and go, you made a wrong call. You were unfair. Never will that happen. He comes to judge. And I do have to say, that should just cause us to to, to sit up and see Jesus rightly. He is the lamb who is the lion. Secondly, the writer makes war. He makes war specifically on the beast and the false prophet and unrepentant mankind. And you just have to remember, despite all of the warnings, the hundred, and we'll talk about this, we'll bring this all in later on, the 144,000, the two witnesses, the multitudes, the flying angel, the sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments, all of them have been there to get people's attention. 
Again and again and again and again, the Lord has made himself available. The Lord has pushed and pressed. The Lord has spoken and given. And yet mankind continues just to go, cram it. I don't want you. I'm not interested. I want to do my own thing. Or I'll just carve you the way I want you to be. And looking in the text, by the way, we'll read this here in just a second. They go to war against God. This is the second thing that stunned me out of this passage. I just kind of had it in my head that mankind comes together and they just all war together and God just lets them kill each other. No, no, no. They're coming together to war with God. It's like, how would they do that? Because if you understand the judgments that have been just laid out, they know that there is a God thing going on here. And literally, the, the beast and the false prophet is gathering the kings and, and the armies of the world. I'm doing a little assembly here. But, but they're gathering them together in, in, in this final battle. And they're going to battle with God. I don't know how that works out, but that's what's happening here. And that's not a battle you're probably going to win. But... I am convinced that they go to battle thinking that they can. And he makes war against, frankly, the ones who started the war. Listen, the Lord didn't start this war, guys, the dragon did. So he'll play war. Number three, got to keep moving. Uh, the writer strikes down the nations. The nations have not chosen to go face down before him in repentance for forgiveness. So he strikes them down. Whew. Middle of verse 15, next one, the writer will rule. The context is this idea of he takes down those to rule. There's an iron rod with a sharp sword. There is not a willingness by the nations to let him rule. They do not submit. They do not repent. They fight him to the end. And may I just say, that is a picture of the reality of hearts today, very possibly. I am my own man. I am my own woman. I am my own teenager. No one tells me what to do, not my parents, not my older parents, not God. I'll pick the God I want. Friend, sister, love you enough to say this, that's not how it works. And if you want to war that war, you need to be seeing what happens here because whether we're in, whether it's in that war or whether it's not in that war, this war is the reality of the war. Number five, end of verse 15, the writer will tread the winepress of fury. Revelation 14 talks about the nations are thrown in the winepress of God's wrath. Revelation 16, Babylon is given the cup of God's furious wrath. Isaiah 63, 6 says, I trampled down the people in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath. I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. 
They have shed the blood of God's people. They have rejected the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And now those who refuse to come to Christ are made to drink the wrath of God himself. He first came in grace. He now comes in fury. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in his righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. I want to know the name. (laughs) He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paragraph number two, much quicker. Four gatherings are noted here. As I see it, verse 17 and 18 says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Picture it. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Make a bird noise. (laughs) No, no, no. Not a tweety bird. Gaw. (laughs) Okay, make it. (laughs) We're putting this online. Directly overhead, and he says, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great gathered for a supper, for the great supper of God. These birds are called to gather and feast on the aftermath of the slaughter brought by the rider. Wait, wait, where was the war? It was over before it started. And I don't know the details because it doesn't give the details, so I'm not going to try and imagine. But the only one thing I wonder is, I just wonder if he just spoke it. Because if he can speak creation into being, he can speak creation out of existence. If he can speak the heavens into being, he can speak the horses down and out. I don't know how it happened, but apparently it did, and the carnage is stunning. The language is hard to read. But I'm not here to justify God. I'm not here to rebrand God. God's word is here for us to see him. And not in a buffet line to choose what parts I want. No, friends, this is the lamb who is the lion. 
And in this carnage, the groups here listed are the classes and the status of mankind. It's like the entire earth here. Or is it just those on the battlefield of Armageddon? Not right now, I'm not sure. We're not doing assembly. But you clearly see grand carnage here. This is the second, quote, great supper in Revelation 19. Last Sunday was the marriage supper of the Lamb with the saints. I'll say this, you want to be there. Um, can you just look at this one and just go, no, I don't think I want to be there because the saints are partaking with the Lord here in this great supper. I've just got to say it. It's what the text says. People are being eaten. Revelation 20, gathered for a fire. Sorry, verse 20. Wait, verse 19, gathered for a war. What's a Verse. Verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Again, can you imagine trying to go to war with God? Yeah, but the beast and the, and the key, key here is I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against the Lord. This is what I would understand is, is portrayed under the sixth bowl in chapter 16. We see one army with the beasts and the kings, and on the other hill is the rider and his hosts. I mean, you just see them laid out here, and they've gathered together to go to war against God, and there's no description of the battle. But I think there's no gradual winning of the battle. I want to be careful. I just don't want to read into it, but, but it, you just get a sense it's like, Done. Verse 20, gathered for a fire. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And these two, uh, the beast and the false prophet, by the way, not the dragon, Satan, and not unredeemed mankind yet at this point. But these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And frankly, this is one of those times where I go, yeah, yeah. The beast and the false prophet deceived many, 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 many away from God. This is the one time where I go, yeah. Burn, baby, burn. I'm sorry to be so crude, but it's just straight up true when you understand what's taking place. They have led the deception of countless numbers. Is it forever? Is it just annihilation? I'm not assembling. I'm just laying the pieces out at this point. We'll talk more later. Verse 21, another Sunday. Verse 21, and the rest... By the way, there is talk about the rest. Uh, so we're talking about the, uh, the, the, the false prophet and the, and the beast. Now, now the rest, I think this is uh, those humans that were uh, killed, slain. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. You get the idea that uh, it, the war was won by him. And all his followers are, are observing very possibly. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. 
friends, the Lord is faithful and true, and what He says will happen will happen. And the fact of the matter is, is the Lord has said, this is what would happen to those who do not come to Him. Notice they remain unburied. Back in the ancient world, this was the ultimate humiliation and they're eaten up. By the way, do you remember who else was unburied? Oh yeah, the two witnesses were killed and left open in humiliation. And I do think part of this clearly comes into this idea is God is bringing vengeance upon those who have gone after his people. John saw the rider. John saw the gatherings. I'm going to leave it there. But I want to kind of leave it with two calls to us. One, from the paragraphs we just finished, I'd, I'd like to say, number one, see the lion lamb rightly. Rightly. We tend to make Jesus who we want him to be. And that is just so foolish. Friends, in all frankness, who are we to be able to define who God is outside of from what God has said? I think he's, it doesn't matter. Who has he said he is? That's really what matters. We have this tendency to create our own lion lamb. Sometimes capital L-A-M-B and tiny font L-I-O-N. Sometimes capital L-I-O-N and two-point font L-A-M-B. But know this. He is capital 12-point L-A-M-B-L-I-O-N. That's who he is. That's who we need. That's who really we want. Let's not rewrite him. Let's not redefine him. Let's not, uh, 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 churches today are like defending God that this is not the God of creation. I can't do that. We can't do that, right? Let God be who God is and and we follow under that. Oh, by the way, we do not rebrand God. You know, God's just kind of got a rebranding issue going on right now. He's just got a bad brand. No, he doesn't. He's got like the perfect brand. If we would see him for who he really is, hey, he's got the whole brand spot on. The problem is, is sometimes we fail to see the right brand of who he is. Let's see him for who he is, who he is, who he is. Let's see him rightly. Secondly, to finish, let's see the lion lamb returning. When we see him rightly and we see him returning, there is a rejoicing that goes ahead. There's also a pressing ahead. He's going to return and I have no idea when. If it's today or this month or this year following the blood moon, if it's in a thousand years, the fact of his return matters today. Because the warrior king is our Messiah today. And he is coming, and those in Christ will ride following him. 
And I leave that with a final picture. Final thought. Until he returns, we live in a downpour. We live in a downpour of a war zone. We do. It's heavy. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. And if you will, with the picture, sometimes it's like, please, can I just have a towel and turn the water off? But we live in the downpour of the war. But when we see Jesus Christ rightly, there is both a humility of falling down before him that falls, and there is a pressing ahead. Because we are in a time of the downpour. And if you have never come to that place where you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to. Not just knowing about God, not just hearing about God, but coming to the point where you drive the stake in the ground before the Lord. If we're going to be having a marriage supper, let me ask this question. When was the point in time when you declared a marriage covenant with the Lord? And you made a declaration of, Lord, I just don't want to know about you. I just don't want to date you. I want to become yours. I'm a sinner, separated you, fallen short of your goodness and glory. Yes, you died on the cross, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have you done that? If you haven't, you need to today. You need to. See him rightly and fall. But also see him rightly in that he's returning. And let's press ahead. In the weight, hurt, heavy of it. Press ahead. Lord God, we thank you so much for who you are. You are much bigger than we have a tendency to think of you. You are the lion lamb. You are the lion that has come. You are the lamb that has come. You are the lion that is coming. You are the lamb that is coming. You are the lion lamb. And Lord, how we see you changes everything. Father, I would pray for some here in this room today, maybe for them, they've realized they've been seeing a Jesus that really isn't the full deal Jesus. I I, I, I would pray that uh, you would do a work there, God. I would pray maybe there's some here in this room who don't know you. Maybe you've had just had hard hearts towards you, have just been kind of fist to the air to you. Maybe some in this room today, Lord, are at that place to where 
they think that they're in a right place with you, but indeed they're not. And maybe they've been trying to religionize their way to you rather than repenting and falling before you and receiving you as their Savior and pressing ahead with a life changed. God, if there's anyone in this room May the Spirit of God press into them and may they receive the Lion Lamb as their Redeemer forever. And yet this letter of Revelation is written for believers to know their God. And I pray that we would leave this building, we would go to our homes, we would go to our work, We would go to our kids. We would go to our circumstances with the revived reality of our God reigns. And we, as you know, are in the season of redemptive history downpour. We live in that war zone. But our king reigns. And he knows. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the word of God. He is faithful and true. You even have a name that we don't even know you're so much superior than we are. And we press ahead knowing that. And Lord, if you would choose to come today to do your work soon, even so come, Lord, I pray. Oh, even so come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.